2: My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults, for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue, or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Please keep in mind that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs. Not everybody will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say. So there will always be others that see it differently. And I understand that. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime, from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I'm still pinching myself. Thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. Daniel Markovic was only 22 years old when on May the 27th, 2004, the car what he was driving was struck from behind by a drunk drugged, unlicensed driver speeding in an unroadworthy car along Kingsway here in Melbourne, killing Daniel. The man who killed Daniel had a roadside alcohol test reading of 0.266 and he'd appeared in front of a magistrate three times previously for driving offences. Are you shaking your head because I am? Uh, Daniel's father has never recovered from the trauma and grief, but his mum Margaret and sister Lisa managed their way through the grief and trauma and have become fierce advocates for those who unfortunately find themselves in their shoes. Margaret and Lisa founded Road Trauma Families Victoria, RTFV a not-for-profit organisation with charity status with a stable of volunteers, all with lived experience in road trauma, whose combined passion is to educate, inform and create awareness among Victorian road users with an aim to reduce the number of fatalities and serious injury sustained on our roads. RTFV also offer emotional and intellectual support to those affected by the loss of a loved one and sadly they can truly say, we know how you feel and what you're going through. Margaret and her family didn't have anyone to assist in navigating their way through the funeral. After the funeral, during the police investigation, the court processes and victim services available and Margaret and Lisa have made it their mission to make sure that no one would ever feel as alone and confused as their family felt in the following days, weeks and months after Daniel passed away. RTFE have some great initiatives, particularly in relation to traumatised teenagers who seem to fall through the cracks in managing their grief from a road trauma sense, that is. Margaret and Lisa saw a need with these teens And with their team, they began running a camp called Roar to Roar. That's R-A-W, the number two, and then R-O-A-R, which has had great success, but like every volunteer program, it runs on the smell of an oily rag. You never know, someone from maybe an organisation such as TAC, hopefully they might even be listening to this podcast and offer RTFV some support in running these camps. Margaret has some very strong opinions on our judiciary and the rights of victims to be heard and considered more. And I don't think her spirit and determination will surprise you one iota. She's quite a dynamo, our Margaret. So thanks for your time,
3: Margaret, and welcome to NFI. Thank you very much, Narelle, and thank you for your time too.
2: Uh, It's an absolute pleasure. Well, you know, Margaret... uh, you and I have done very well in uh, the technical side of things. Uh, I, God, it's very rare that I can just send somebody something and it all works. And you know what? It, it's all working today, so uh, to that's got to be a good sign. <laughs> well, I meant to be for sure. <laughs> it's very rare that I ever have anything to do with technology that doesn't muck up. Oh, that's good. Oh, good. Yeah. And, anyway, look. Uh, I might start, Margaret, in saying that unfortunately uh, we're talking today because of road trauma and the senseless and sadly avoidable death of your son, Daniel. And I say avoidable because the man who killed him should never, ever have been on the road in the first place. And as I said in my intro, he'd uh, fronted court no less than three times for traffic-related offences, offenses, and he clearly didn't believe any of the rules applied to him. I just can't imagine the anger that that caused. And and is I'm just wondering, is the anger still there or is it anger or something else?
3: That's um, a really good question. The anger um, has been suppressed. It's there, but we agreed that we would not let him take anything else from us. We don't give him the time of day. We don't mention his name. We don't... Um, really acknowledge him in any way, shape or form. And um, that's, I think, how we've managed to move forward um, and use our energy in other ways, such as Road Trauma Families Victoria and the Raw to Raw program.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I suppose in a way, Margaret, that it's almost, uh, what's that word, that you have accepted in a way. Well, you've got to accept that it's happened and you can't change it. Mm. I suppose so. It is a lot about acceptance, is it?
3: Uh, it probably is. In a to be healthy, you need to be able to stay. I think in a healthy place with your well-being placed first, and those close to you to be able to continue. Working through lots and lots of barriers and borders and you know, misconception and so on, um, and the the blocks there are lots of blocks put in front of us all the time. But I'm sure Daniel gives us the strength to be able to do what we're doing, and it's um, it's a, in tribute to him that we continue as well. So um,
2: yeah. And I'm sure he wouldn't want you to be uh, angry all the time. No. I mean, of, of course, that is part of the uh, the grieving process mm. is anger. But if you have anger in you for the whole time, you're going to be very, very bitter, aren't
3: you? And, and Daniel wouldn't want that. No, Narelle, you're spot on with that one. Um, anger can destroy people in many different ways, and. As I said, we've already lost far too much because of what this man did to Daniel and, um, well, he's not taking anything else from us, but I've realised that as the years progress there are more things that we will never be able to do or enjoy um, that I didn't realise early days. As you, you know, you move through milestones anyway in your lifetime and um, grandchildren could be a good example. Um, seeing him develop as a young professional musician, um, enjoying family time as, as families do and should be able to, uh, there's a lot of gaps in our life that we will never be able to fill. So as I said, that man is not taking anything else from us and we're using our strength through transferring that anger, that energy, into more of a positive um, uh, a positive outcome and direction. It gives us direction and a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And it's easy for me to say
2: and easy for the listeners, you know, to think uh, – that you could be, oh, what's the word? You could be forgiven for really being angry for the rest of your life, but as you say, it, it's got to. It can't take over because I think it would almost be like a
3: cancer; it just eats eats away at you. No, oh, absolutely right. And I've seen it happen over over our time helping families. It's it's a, a very tricky, difficult area to. Um, navigate through oh, I bet it is. and support people on their journey because of the anger which overtakes grief that just exacerbates it I think um, and those around them as well. Not everybody grieves the same and not everybody can rally and find some in intestinal um, digging deep strength to be able to uh, step away a little bit, even a little bit at a time, because that to many is um, letting go, whereas we feel it's um, connecting more, it's connecting stronger to uh, what Daniel would want, and what we would like to see put in place for road trauma victims.
2: Mm. And we will certainly get to that. But I I just heard you say then something about Daniel and his music uh, career, Mm. let's say. So can you tell us about Daniel? Like what were his aspirations in life at the ripe old age of
3: 22? Exactly. Uh, Daniel was... um, Not just because I'm his mum, but he was identified across many levels of music as being an exceptional musician, not just in the way he could play instruments, but he was also writing his own music. Then he's moved into managing bands. So one of the bands that he was in very early Days probably about eighteen years old, I think. They won the Battle of the Bands in Melbourne, which is a really huge achievement, and his band contract is often offered. the The band had some falling out, and it just didn't all come together, unfortunately. But Daniel just kept going on with what he knew he wanted to do. He at seven started to play the piano.
2: At seven? At seven,
3: yes. Yeah. And then he moved on to, uh, he wanted to play guitar, so he went on to acoustic guitar and then moved over to or added um, lead guitar, electric guitar, and drums. He wanted to do that, so he played the drums. He learned how to, uh, he wanted to learn the bagpipes, but that didn't eventuate. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he was very, very... (laughs) very busy um, and in demand too. so he he and his dad built a soundproof recording room behind our garage at home. Daniel was studying um, sound um, sound recording at RMIT. So having the sound studio done, he was saving up to get the equipment he needed. To record and everything else he wanted to do, and he was in midstream of doing that, and things were just starting to really come together. So, um, in he was offered a music scholarship in Year Nine at Westbourne Grammar School, and through all of that, he um, his main instrument at Westbourne was the clarinet. And he also picked up saxophone and oboe. He was in all the bands and, you know, he was the boy basically. And um, after his year 12 results, he was offered a scholarship to Trinity College, which is a quite a high reputable music program. But he didn't want to do that. He wanted to get out there and be in the field, so to speak. Yeah, so that's where that um, ended up. But I, in preparing for today, I found a book that Daniel put together when he was in grade six. And it's uh, different questions about yourself. Um how he describes himself and his family. Um you'll probably hear these pages going past story.
2: But no, no, I think it'll be worth it. Well, I know no, it'll be worth it. You find whatever you need to find. Okay.
3: Um,
2: because there's there's nothing like hearing from really from Daniel himself yeah. as to you yeah. know, how he could describe himself. I mean you couldn't get anything better than that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, it's a it's a real treasured um, Oh, I bet it is. Yeah. yeah. Now, here we are. Physical characteristics and the way I look. My my eyes are blue. <laughs> oh, cute. Yeah. My eyes are yeah. blue. My hair is dark brown and is short. My height is one hundred and seventy-four centimetres. And my weight is 64 kilos. Now, Daniel grew to six foot six.
2: Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. right. He
3: was very tall. People tell me I look like my dad because I am tall and I have the same build. I look and walk like my dad as well. People tell me I look like my mother because I have the same shaped eyes and ears as my mum and I have her little finger whatever that means, but just to um, add to that, he talks about his hobbies. Um, So he was a very proficient basketball player, probably because of his height.
2: Oh, yeah, that'd come in very handy. Absolutely
3: loved his basketball. Now, my hobbies include basketball and Harley card collecting. I also have a large collection of coasters from all over Australia. (laughs) I love water sports, and though I'm not very good at surfing and skiing, I am playing basketball, piano and clarinet at the moment. My favourite pastimes are watching footy, cricket and basketball on my TV, I love playing basketball on our mini basketball court. We had a little one at home. I have and am part of the Corpus Christi basketball team, St Andrew's basketball team, the Werribee Devils Peak Performance Swimming Squad, the Andrios School of Music, Pottery, my clarinet teacher's business, First Werribee Scouts, Williamstown Gymnastics Club, And he loved Coronella. Do you remember that in The Sun? Oh, I do. Gee,
2: you're taking me way way back back
3: then. He loved it. And he he did achieve a lot of lovely certificates and prizes and And... badges and things. Yeah, he was very artistic. Oh, Uh, what footy team did he follow? Uh, North Melbourne. Oh, okay. Oh, well, I I sound very... (laughs) Oh, yeah, it was... I, f-
2: I sound very disappointed and I am that he didn't follow the Richmond Tigers, but oh, anyway.
3: <laughs> okay. I'm sure he'd have something to say about that. <laughs> I'm sure he would.
2: Uh, yeah. Everyone else seems to. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking with all the things that he's saying there, is there anything that, and I mean this, like he sounds like he played every instrument known to yes. man. Is there any
3: instrument he couldn't play that he tried he to? No, honestly, no anything he picked up he did it he could work it he played it and not just a bit like he really he was a perfectionist where all of that was concerned yeah so so
2: margaret all these talents that daniel had mm. unfortunately they uh, came to a a halt, didn't they? they and sure I think did. that's what you were. Yeah, yep. that's what you were alluding to before. Can you take us to the night that Daniel was killed? If if sure. you feel okay about
3: that. Yep. No. No problem. Um, I was teaching at the time, and it was report writing time. And anybody that's taught knows how pressured and time. Um, time restraint it is trying to get all of your reports done. So I stayed behind to do some more report work rather than take it home again. And Daniel and his dad were going out with Vietnam Vet Group, Friendship Group, um, for a boys' night out. And they'd organised a bus from Werribee RSL to take them off to Melbourne Uni to the Army Army unit that's based or set up at Melbourne Uni, and um, they had a lovely night out. About um, midnight, I think one of Daniel's friends rang and said, oh, I'm in the city, where are you? Oh, right, I'll swing by and pick you up. So Daniel didn't go home with his dad in the bus. He went home with his friend. Um, I had no idea about this at all. And because his cars were in the driveway and his bedroom door was shut, I just thought that, you know, he'd be home in bed. But at about seven in the morning, knock on the door, and there were two police members at the door, one male, one female. And I didn't really think of anything of it at the time because There'd been some upheaval in the street recently with cars being broken into and so on. So I thought maybe it's about something to do with the in the street. So I was asked to get who was else was in the house. Could I please go and get them out and meet in the kitchen? And I thought, oh gosh, this is really, really hard. This is weird. So I woke Lisa up and I woke Danny up and came into the kitchen and they told us that um, Daniel had been killed in a fatal car accident and that, those, those words just did not resonate. I didn't, I didn't get it. Um, we were completely shocked and I said to them, this must be a mistake. I, you know, this, this can't happen. And they said, look, um, he gave me two business cards. One card had the um, coroner's office phone number on it. I had to ring that number and we had to be there by 11 o'clock that morning to identify Daniel, which just made me physically sick. Um, the second card was for um, a policeman who attended the scene and turned out to be our informant. So if people don't understand the informant, it's the police member who um, follows you through the investigation and keeps you informed along the way. So um, that was all we had and they, they then left um, well, what do you do? You know, like with that, with that news still being internalised, what the hell do we do now? What, what does this mean? We can't get in a car and drive into Melbourne in this state. Um, you know, my, mine was just flashing everywhere and I call it mush brain It's just like it's hit a wall. It's just mush. You can't think, can't separate thoughts or anything like that. So to get organised, I called a friend, a Vietnam friend of ours, and asked if he could come over. I didn't tell him on the phone anyway. He came over and filled him in and asked if he could drive us into Melbourne, which he did. Um Lisa wanted to come. I didn't know what on earth we would be faced with, or what was involved in an identification of your child um I wanted her to stay at home and she she and Daniel's girlfriend were at the house then as people were arriving while we were in the city well that that experience of identifying him was the most. One of the most horrific things ever, ever, ever. And it's still in the forefront of my mind. And we were told that he was killed instantly. Now, as a mother, what does that really mean? Did he call out? Did he suffer any pain? Did it happen so quickly?
2: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
1: to find out if it's right for you. had no
3: idea um, just yeah just what does that mean? Um, that sits in my mind all the time. Um, the source of nightmares too I would have to be honest to say um, we. We did that, we came home, and the whole yard, the whole front yard of the house was full of people. Daniel, as the news travelled, his friends and our friends just arrived to the house, and looking at their faces, I could see my face. Just absolute shock, um, darkness disbelief, um, it was very quiet too and our house was never quiet so that was a bit strange. So people were there um, from that from that time right through we had to wait nine days before we could hold the funeral because at that time there was the, the um, gangland war and people were being shot and killed Daily, rapidly. So, we were told that if another person was going, was killed, it would push Daniel's um, autopsy back. So, uh, when I think about it, so right from that initial point, is it good over evil? What is it that um, drives and directs these things in life? But there was another um, gangland shooting, but, yeah, by the nine days we were able to have Daniel back to the undertaker and organise the funeral. And in that time, that was the long, longest time, and the night time is just the hardest of all. Um, there were people all the time. And because my husband's European, their their way of, grieving is very different to what we as Aussies uh, have ever experienced. Um, it's, it's very involved. So we had that sort of um, uh, layer of grief and we also had the young ones layer of grief and all they wanted to do was go around to the studio and feel him in the room and talk and be with each other and play music So that in itself was really lovely and it did help a lot. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that continued for months after, months and months after. They'd come as a couple or as a small group or individually, just come, go in the studio and they'd feel better for it. Um, Could you go into that studio, Mark? Oh, I did a lot. Yeah, just like into his bedroom. Yeah, well, the young ones went into his bedroom too and just sat around and... And had a chat because um, our house was very was very open and busy. People would young um, ones particularly would come and go, um, see if Daniel's in his room. No, he's not in his room. Okay, we'll go out to the studio. There was music in the room. There was music playing in the studio. There was music playing in the house, and it was just <laughs> and it wasn't all the same music. It was just everything. But that's yeah, yeah. that's what um, that's what it was about, and um, the silence was deafening. Yeah, mm-hmm. Daniel's very favourite song was uh, November Rain. Um, yeah, that was played so many times, and it was played at his funeral too. So so loud as well because you can't listen to music <laughs> that's not loud. You know, loud. No, I was always no,
2: I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Hey, no, November rain. Mm. I know Purple Rain mm. by Prince, yes. but what's November rain? Who's um, that by? That
3: is from the Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Sorry, <laughs> <I'll throw an laughs> yeah. audience, yeah. if I've got it wrong, but I'm... <laughs>
0: <laughs> they'll tell us. I'm sure.
3: I'm sure. Um, yeah, so that was um, the song that would always come on the radio when we're in the car. That would often be on a, a show on telly. Um, and those triggers are unbelievably strong and can take you to a place instantly that you don't want or hadn't expected to go. Um, but that song still does trigger a lot um, different food as well. Daniel loved his food. Oh, my goodness.
2: Yeah, he's not alone there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just for the listeners, just for the listeners, I had to ask Margaret if she could just hang on until we started the interview (laughs) because I had some... I don't know some couscous or something that I was trying to throw down before the interview. Like I'm going to fade away to a shadow or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so he loved his food. What did he love?
3: Oh, his um, his paternal grandmother made lasagna, and it was just the best. And she'd make oh, it. Oh, I bet it would be. Yeah, yeah, she'd make it for him. His favourite thing, and um, anything to do with pasta. Um, schnitzels, and um, dim sin. Well at,
2: well, at six foot six, he'd need a fair bit to fill him up, well, wouldn't he? Well, he'd only fill one leg at a time, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. And, and so going back, so those first days after Daniel was killed, mm. the house was just full of people, people yep. full of, uh, I imagine, just love, uh, care, uh, how did how did you and Ugh. yeah how did you and your family cope?
3: Well,
2: I mean a ridiculous question in a way. Well, how, how?
3: No, not yeah. really, Narelle. It's um, we were lucky that we had a double garage and a shed because Lester and I could just stay in the house if we wanted to and be away from all of that. Because rightly or wrongly, people do say some very um unacceptable things not realizing that they have mm-hmm. or if i put that right i think
2: A- absolutely margaret because that was one of the things that i was going to ask you is that people uh, they often uh, steer away from like when when something like this happens yeah people don't know how to how to react they feel uh, in, I don't know. Awkward. Uh, yes, they don't want you to get upset. They don't, and of course you're going to be upset. Yeah. But but people feel very uncomfortable. And I know what you mean. Uh, there are people that probably
3: avoided you. Did you find that? No, I I didn't. Okay. Um, no, no, the three of us didn't find that happened to. I know it's happened to other people, and I I have witnessed that happen. But I can honestly and very proudly say that it didn't happen to us at all. We were very much embraced and um, um, not smothered, but um, the, the feeling of support, love and sorrow was all there for us, but... Nothing nothing other than that. Um, I had a, a school girlfriend came over and we just sat and um, talked and laughed and talked and laughed and got louder and louder and had a few wines here and a few more there. And I don't think that was taken on board very well by some of the older people, but that's, that was right for us at the time and I needed that. At the time. Um, I don't think there's
2: anything right or wrong, wrong no. when you are grieving and particularly in those first days, those yeah. first hours, weeks. Yeah. I would think whatever uh, floats your boat mm-hmm. is uh, whatever makes you feel good. But I'm just wondering, like, so what sort of advice would you give somebody who doesn't know whether to somebody that's been through something traumatic, what did you appreciate and what didn't you like? Were you smothered to the point where you felt you needed to get away? You needed some time on your own. What sort yeah, of things should well,
3: people the, the, take on board? We did. Lisa and I did feel quite um, smothered, but we also felt a little bit, um, uh, perhaps, marginalised because it was the grief was for Danny losing his son. And Lisa felt that it should have been her. So we had a lot of that yep. to talk through and work through. But mm-hmm. what I appreciated the most was those friends who are quiet and behind, they're, they're behind the radar. They don't make a big issue of things. So, for example, one girlfriend just arrived and she would just quietly do the dishes, put them away, make a cup of tea, how are you going, you right now, tell me if you need anything, all right, I'll be back tomorrow. That, that sort of help was amazing. Um, there were quite a few people that did different things like that. Um, our house was like a florist shop. We ran out of space on, even on the floor to put all the beautiful flowers that were sent but if i from my point of view i would advise that the support extended to people needs to be the right in the right way for them you'd have to know the person the family well enough to know or even try to know mm. what would be the best way of Assisting, So even just to come in to the garage and put music on the Daniel Light is is a, a, an amazing thing to do because it's so quiet and gloomy and, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But that, that was good because it just lifted everything and I hadn't even thought of doing something like that. Um, yeah. I mean, bringing food and all of that is so so um, appreciated to uh, friends that arrived with, you know, soup and casseroles and mm. cakes and all sorts of things was fabulous. Mm. Um, but it's it's funny you say that because uh,
2: we have some friends close by that. Uh, their son died of natural causes very unexpectedly, but we didn't know them very well at all. Yeah, right. and, that, and that's exactly what we did was that we uh, took them some food. Mm. I made a, a lasagna, certainly not like um, uh, uh, Daniel's, maternal grandma I'm sure it wasn't up to that level but it was just a way of saying we're thinking of you and I hope this helps yes, yes. so I understand completely food is a well you don't have to worry about what you're going to you know right. having because people come around all the time don't they, they? do and yep. they come around for cups of tea and you've got no biscuits you've got no cake it's lovely right. not to
3: have to worry it's one of the things you don't yes. have to worry yes about. and mm. you know you need to make sure that you keep your health up as well so um having the the food there there's no excuse not to eat even though you don't feel like eating you still need to eat and keep up you your strength and so on um margaret there was a couple of things that you spoke
2: about uh, just before that i wouldn't mind going back to if you don't mind when you talked about uh, between you identifying Daniel and uh, Daniel's body being released yes. was nine days because of there were gangland murders going on. Yes. I think I, I heard that you were um, disgusted is the wrong word, but I am. I think to myself, are you buddy kidding mm-hmm. me, that a gangland murder... Yep. Would take precedence yep. over a young man, a good, uh, law-abiding citizen, yep. and he is put back because of a. Oh, I could swear, Margaret, That's but it. I'm
3: trying not to. That's exactly because, right. yep. Oh, I Margaret, it. how did you, how did you deal I with that? I just could not believe it. A pack of bloody. Yeah, <gasps> uh, And oh, and if there's another one, then we'll probably find that we have to put it back further. Oh, I could not believe it.
2: Why would that be like why would they take oh, I don't understand. I'm nearly got. I'm gobsmacked, but why would they take precedence? Yes. They should but from my point of view, they should be, the last. be at the back of the <laughs> Absolutely.
3: <laughs> yes, exactly right. I'm sure. Um that they just come up and would have happened anyway, but not to the not to the detriment of good people
2: oh couldn't agree more oh that was just, I couldn't believe what I was hearing yeah. um and and also if we could go back to um, identifying Daniel mm-hmm. did you have an opportunity for somebody else to identify him
3: or or Did you want to or how did that come about? Um, I don't remember if we were given an option but I wanted to. I wanted to see him. I wanted to be sure it was him. I wanted to um, know and find out as much as I possibly could about his injury or, you know, what the information was. And you... We couldn't touch him or anything. Um, it was very clinical, uh, behind a glass, big glass window, and he was on a gurney with a sheet up to his neck. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was about it. And a voice comes over into the room and says. Um, because I had to fill out forms as well, um, yeah. That,
2: Were you on your own, Margaret? Or was Well, it no, I had, um,
3: well, Danny came with me, his mate that took us in, myself, Danny's sister and my mother. Yep. Yeah. But, I mean, ha- how can you, how do you support someone in a room like that? All I wanted to do was crawl into the corner and, you know, be somewhere else. Hmm. Margaret, is
2: do you think that there is a way? It is very clinical. I I know exactly the room. Unfortunately, exactly the room through working, not through um, a personal experience. Yes, but it is very, very clinical. And I wondered to myself if there was any way that they could make it a little bit more. I don't know, warm or Mm. I don't know what the word is. Does it? I wonder if it has to be that clinical. I suppose I know,
3: and and, I mean, everybody watches so much TV, especially American TV, that it doesn't come across that way on telly. But that shouldn't be the the benchmark anyway. But it's not. um, It's not personal at all. And it should, but it should be, shouldn't it?
2: Because Mm -hmm. that is forever anybody who's identifying a deceased person, they've got to obviously know them very well, whether it's a family member or a close family friend or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: I I just... Or at least be given an option.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I understand why they keep your way to a point, Mm. but I also think it's... The last, well, I suppose you can at the funeral. Oh, anyway, look, we're probably—I I probably shouldn't be going there. But the other thing that I—I um, I wanted to ask you was, when the policeman and the policewoman came around to tell you that Daniel had been killed, yep. how long were they there?
3: Oh gosh, I would think fifteen minutes, like.
2: And I got that feeling when you were telling me, and they left, and you know, left you with the car. Yes, yes. From from my point of view, I've uh, I've given uh, too many death messages. Uh, it's, I, I would have to say, it's probably the worst uh, worst job, job as a police. Yeah, absolutely. Think so. However, however, it's about it's about reading the room, mm-hmm. and about uh, from a police person's point of view, because everyone. Um, manages it differently. Everybody handles it differently. I'm talking about the people that you tell. Yes. And I think I made a huge mistake with a senior member that I did my first ever de- death message. And we knew very little. It was about an accident, a girl's father. And we knew very little. And she was asking us all these questions and we didn't know. And I was very, very embarrassed. And I learned from that, that, the next time I go to a death message, I am mm. going to know everything I possibly can because people want to know. Yes. But I'm thinking to myself, 15 minutes is not very, like that's really just, I'm, I'm sorry, but this is how it seems. Um, can we speak to you? Mm. Come out into the room. Uh, Daniel's being killed. Uh and a little bit of you know, are you okay or is there anything we can yeah. do? But with fifteen minutes and giving you a card, yep. I would have thought they'd be there a good hour. No. Surely,
3: just no. I, I'm just trying to think. I don't want to to do the wrong thing by. Oh no, you know, no, no, these young people—they're very young—and I felt for them to have to come and do this. But yeah, yeah. what I mean, there was nothing more. Yeah, you know, they. They asked, is there anyone they could call for us? And at that time, I mean, we're still trying to deal with the news. And, um, yeah, so, you know, that was about it. But I, I have had a discussion with um, the past assistant commissioner, Libby Murphy. Um, oh, yes. And the recent incumbent, Glenn Weir, about this sort of thing and, They agree there needs to be a better way of doing it. So it's it's been taken on board, but I'm not sure what will come from that or how it will come from that.
2: Because we learnt a lot at the academy, but we we never learnt how to um, give a death message, mm. and it's probably well. If it's not one of the most, it's the most important uh, message you will ever get. Yes. And I think uh, a lot of training needs to be done because, like I said, we didn't even—it wasn't even on the on the agenda. Okay. Um, yeah. And yeah. And Margaret, Margaret, the other thing is when the police came to the door. Yeah. And you thought it was something to do with the, in the street. Mm. You said, uh, did you ever, go when they said, oh, you, is there anyone else in the house, can you go and get them? Did you go to Daniel's room and he wasn't there? Yes, I did. Yep. Right. Yeah. And is that when the penny dropped a bit?
3: Um, yes, it did, actually. That's why I was, I, know I was just so confused about that. His cars are here. His bedroom door shut. Like, he's been out with his dad. Why would he not be here? Um, because I didn't know what had, had, you know, happened um, during that time frame. Mm. Yeah, so it did hit me very heavy when he wasn't in his room. It's not easy listening, is it?
2: I don't know about you, but at times my blood was at boiling point. Where have we come in relation to understanding the needs of the victims and their families? It still appears that they're left out in the cold and very little time is spent considering what they need, the information that they might require, explanations as to what's happening, why and when. But if we don't have people like Marg telling us this and highlighting the issues, we'll never improve. Next week, we talk about the court process and how Marg was prepared to fight for what she believed in and not be told, you know, like this is how it's always been done, so that's how it's going to be done. Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A T R E O N for com, and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.